scripture, and uh, I just want to continue to read this. Uh, I pray this as we begin. And so uh, Philippians 3, 10, and 11 uh, says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. We're continuing on our uh, our journey here through John and the scriptures, and so I want to go to John 15, uh, 18, and we're just going to continue um, down this path. And hopefully, I, I hope uh, you guys are taking away some stuff here. I know I'm taking away some things, and and I hope that we, as we leave here, what we're what we're doing is we're not just hearing a <coughs> okay worship set and okay word, or maybe you might be hearing a really good worship set and okay word, or a, maybe maybe one Sunday it's like good and good, right? And, and then we leave, um, and then we uh, just kind of, it kind of falls off. And so what I want to talk about today is, is maybe, maybe as we go through this, that my, my thought is, what if we held on to what, what if we what if we invited Jesus to have His way in our hearts? Uh, what if we invited uh, to Jesus to, to come and do the things that He wants to do out out in out in the streets, not just in here? We welcome Him, of course, in here. But when we say "Come, Holy Spirit," we're saying not just come in these four walls, but come in in our lives. When we're shopping at Target or Walmart or Dollar General or it's a new place. That Hobby Lobby, okay, a lot of money going there. Okay, um, and so that we're out and about, we're at our jobs, and we're we're asking God, what do you want to do here? And so as we respond to that, um, my first passage here will be a vast encouragement to you, John fifteen, uh, eighteen. Let's read. If the world hates you. Remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you no longer, you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them, that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they can see everything I did. Yet, they still hate me and my Father. This fulfills what is written in Scripture. They hated me without cause. Highly encouraging. <laughs> that, is, that is the note that I want to read, right? 
They're going to hate you. Now we've got to remember the context of the gospel that's being written here is the context of hostility towards uh, those people that were following Christ. There is still hostility and much more than we've experienced here in America. If someone doesn't like your idea about Jesus, I wouldn't go around telling people that you're persecuted. Okay? Oh, yeah, she gave me a bad look. I'm part of the persecuted church now. Um, no, you're not. All right? There are places uh, where you can be arrested for sharing the gospel. Places where you'll do time for sharing the gospel around the world. Places where people have to meet illegally in order to share the gospel. Places where you will be disowned by your whole family if you come to know Jesus as your personal Savior. Now the things that we go through, I don't want to belittle those things, but let's understand here when Jesus says, hey, he is using a strong word, and like any good speaker would do, they look up the word hate. And so did I. And hate says this is a verb, and it says to dislike intensely or passionately. Now, I love dictionary.com because you can go there, and every word that it says, you can click on, and you can define that word, too. But to preserve time, I will not go through every single definition of every word that defines hate. But intensely and passionately, you feel extreme aversion for or extreme hostility toward you. It is a detest. You detest. Okay? You guys look up those words when you get home. Intensely, passionately, extreme, aversion, hostility, and detest. Um, they're all not good. Alright? And so, when he says hate, well, why would they hate you? And in the context, again, this, this is written in an environment um, where there's hostility towards Christians, where Christians are dying. Because of what they believed. And so, like I said, this is still going on today. Wow, I, I don't want to be hated. How many of you are like, man, yes. Top five things on my five-year goal is to be hated by someone. Okay? And so takeaway number one is hate is a strong word. Takeaway number two is rejection hurts. Rejection hurts. It is never fun. Again, I've never met someone who enjoyed being rejected. Guys, if you've asked a girl to homecoming and she said no, did you go away like, yes, sir? <laughs> and if you did, you know the feeling that you felt in your heart. The yes, sir was like, I'm going to cry, so I'm just going to say yes, sir. Because I don't know what else to say right now. All right? Uh, girls. And guys, how many of you love getting rejected? It's great, right? Man, it's so fun. It's painful. And there's actually like a, a visceral feeling, right? Of this rejection. And I don't know if you guys have felt this before. Have you felt rejected by somebody? Anybody felt anything in your gut area where it's like, oh, yep. empty maybe, right? And so it hurts, and because it's real, that's why it hurts. But I want to say this, if we're not careful, rejection can lead to reaction. Rejection can lead to reaction, not response, but reaction. And so let me break it down a bit for you what I mean here to bring clarity to the difference of these two words. And I want to ask a question. I want to bring a 
question that will give you, I think, some immediate perspective. How many of you, and you can throw up your hand if you want to, how many of you have received an aggressive email, text message, or call from someone in the last year? An aggressive email, text message, or call from someone in the last year? Anybody? Chuck says, oh yeah, every day. Um, and, and so, okay, now you remember that one, because there's one that stands out above them all, right? You remember that one, and they started nasty, and then they ended the same. And it was a, it was a bit of rejection. It was a space that was created by you, by, by them, between you two, and it was just kind of like, wow, that felt horrible. Now, here's what I want you to do. You don't have to raise your hand in this one. Um, I think you know where, where I'm going, is this. Raise your hand, you don't have to, if you fired back. If you fired back, okay. One, two, three. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we have five people raise their hand, and I know that's not the truth. Uh, and so, but, but you, you fired something back. That was just as vile, right? Maybe even more vile because you are going to be on top of this situation, right? And so let me ask you this question. How many of you actually stopped, prayed, and thought about what you were going to say? that you didn't respond nastily back to the person. I'm not saying you didn't write out the text and delete it. <laughs> write out the email, select all, and delete it. Have the conversation in the mirror <laughs> and delete that. <laughs> You're like, have you done all this? Yes. <laughs> Or the pillow? Right. How are you? Okay? And so, what is a response? Well, a reaction is this. A reaction is, you hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you. You hurt me, not only am I going to have, I'm going to hurt you, I have the right to hurt you. Right? Because here's what happens when we get in this cycle. Now, here's what the deal is. How does that person respond to your hurtful response? It typically escalates. Has anybody ever said in a situation like that something that you regret? Anyone? Yeah. How many of you in the moment you knew that you said something stupid? And you immediately are like, now, okay. My bad on that. That was but no, the person's already hurt, they're wounded. Alright? So what do we do? Hurt people, hurt people. You've all heard that before, right? If you haven't, you're welcome. Hurt people, hurt people. Alright? And so I wanna like look at these terms because we can we can go through life and say, whatever. I can respond however I want to. Right? I can do what I want to do. And I, I think the problem is, is that 
some of us, including myself sometimes, within the church, respond like that. As if we're not dealing with another human being who is made in the image of God. Now, I want to give, I want to give you a guarantee before you leave here today. I guarantee you someone will make you angry. Or someone will attempt to make you angry. I guarantee you that. If you're from anywhere from zero to a hundred and taking in breath, there's always that option. There's always that available. How do we respond to that? And so some of us would respond in this uh, philosophy of fatalism where it's just saying, like, listen, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's submitted to just fate. It's out there. And so whatever I say really doesn't matter. Okay? Uh, maybe this uh, nihilism. It's this form of really skepticism. The denial of all real existence or the possibility that there's even a basis for objective truth. And what I think sometimes what we do is we, we go through this uh, fatalism, this idea, you know, that just whatever happens, happens. And then maybe nihilism where we even become skeptical and then we start to deny even truth or we start taking other truths on. All right? Uh, live your truth. I don't even know what that means. Live your... I've become now the center of truth. Is anybody else frightened? <laughs> like, if you really look at that, you're the only place. Nihilism is there's nothingness, there's non-existence. I mean, and then so I look at, how do we do that? And in, in a deterministic, scientific, which I have, science is great, but in a scientific, deterministic, where things are already laid out, why do our lives even really matter? And I just want to introduce you to this thing called the kingdom perspective. Yep. And I want to read out of a book called Isaiah. And I want to read about what the prophet says here. And I'm just going to get in. <laughs> so much better. Okay. Isaiah 52 says this. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. From his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see that they had not, they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He 
was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep is silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth, unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, that he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that he's accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. We continue this. This is talking, Isaiah is talking about none other than Jesus Christ. Our response to being rejected, what is it? Jesus was rejected. Jesus was a man of many sorrows, it said. He experienced the deepest of grief. And Jesus here we find in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, teaching about how to love your enemies. He says, you have heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true, true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and good. He sends rain on the unjust and just, or the just and the unjust alike. If you love, uh, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even tax or corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as the Father in heaven is perfect. I want to read one more passage. Funny, right? We apologize for being scripture heavy. I know. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 2. All these readings have a purpose. I don't know. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Uh, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It was only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can 
point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, and as he's shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about that. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Can I just make this statement? Hurt people hurt people. Whole people help people. Whole people help people. Why do I read all of those verses? In Isaiah, we see the picture of Jesus. He didn't come to be this king that reigned on high in the, in the worldly sense. He came as a humble servant to those around him. There was nothing that attracted him. If we look at pictures and we think, wow, you know, he's probably a good-looking guy. He might have not been. He might have just been a normal, average-looking dude, and I think that he probably was, and he just looked like everybody else around him, but he did what the Father was directing him to do. He was listening to what the Father was saying for him to say, and he did those things, and he followed God with all of his heart. And then he goes on, and he loves the people that are there. This guy's making fun of them on the cross. They're sitting there. The three of them are dying, and Jesus is saying to this other guy, listen, Believe in me, you can, you'll be in paradise with me today. So his very last breath, he loved people. Now, I want to say to you guys, and then, and then Jesus himself gives us these instructions in Matthew 5 on why we should love our neighbor. Not only our neighbor, because everybody does that. That's easy, to love our enemy. Why is that a call? And what does that mean for you to love your enemy? Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that you have to agree with them. Okay, so if you're going to think, man, peace, bro, everything, no. Like, you don't have to agree with people, but the heart of it is, do you love people? Do you see the Imago day in them? Do you see that there's hope for, for them in Jesus? These people, it's nonsensical. And I've heard believers say this, I, I just can't believe, I can't be around those people because they believe X, Y, Z. What? And they're serious. Here's what I'd like to say. Why don't we be more like Jesus? Why don't we, and in Ephesians here, the passage here is this. I'm made whole because Jesus is in me. I am made whole. I am made right because Christ lives in me. The Christ life dwells in me. I can be a whole person who helps people. I didn't say you're a perfect person who's helping people. You can be whole in Christ Jesus. I think we spend a lot of time wasting our time arguing about things that just don't matter. Jesus says these words in John 15, 26. And this is the encouragement. I want you to be encouraged here. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been made 
or you have been with me from the very beginning of my ministry. I have told you all these things so that you won't abandon the faith, for you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those uh, who kill you will think they are doing holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a longer time. But, we're going to stop there. Alright? So who's this advocate? The Holy Spirit is with us. Wow. What does that mean? It means that Christ has gone. The Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Gives us new life. It says here in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new life has begun. Can I encourage you this morning? Jesus, the suffering servant, dies so that we can experience life. Right? We're called to live a life that is a life of love for every person. Our enemies, our neighbors, the ones that we love, ones that we can't stand. That because, how do we do that? Well, we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers us. The Christ life that lives in us. He sent the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to fill us and give us power from on high that we can go out and be ministers of the gospel to the people around us. And here's what I want to encourage you with this morning is, even if you don't feel like it, God wants to use you. Even if you are sitting there and you're saying, I don't know how, I would say this, just open your heart and your hands and say, God, use me how you want to. And here's what I'd also like to, to say this, that, that people are going to hate you for it. They're going to hate you. If you. Okay, if you read the Bible, and you take the Bible seriously, and you do the things that the Bible is saying, people are going to hate you for it. Mention any hot-button topic right now in our culture, and then go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about it? You're going to probably come up with an answer that is opposite of what the culture is saying. Right, absolutely. Okay? You're going to come up with it. You guys want a couple examples? Let's go to the deep wash. Okay, a couple examples. Marriage. God designed marriage. God designed marriage and... And from the get, it's, it's between a man and a woman. And that's what, that's what marriage before God is about. The state can come up with other unions, but the marriage before God is a man and a woman. Right? Now, how, how do we approach this, though? But, but you just told me a second ago, I need to love everybody. Yeah, we can love everybody. It doesn't mean we have to agree. You can actually still do that in this culture. It's unbelievable that you can love people and disagree with them. But it's true. Okay? So we have that. Um, life. Life is super important. It matters. And when we look at uh, life and we look at conception and we look at uh, the birth of children, life matters. 
We can't go through here and say that it doesn't snow. Now I can come up with some political reasons why, but I can't look in here and say that life doesn't matter. Young, old, unborn, born. It all matters. But we're going to come up against things if we have different ideas. Maybe you have different ideas. And hey, I'd love to talk about those ideas. I know, you know. But I want to tell you that, that when we go to hot button topics of the culture, here's what I would say to you. Be in the Word. Don't believe that you aren't going to face tough times. People say this, and this is great. They're going to do another gospel. They're doing this group. And I want to just, she reiterated, but I want to reiterate it again. They're not doing another gospel. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Bill. Okay, the gospel according, the gospel according to Chuck. Okay? Um, I've read that. It's frightening. Um, no, so, no, so, actually, it's really good. So, um, but in the gospel, because what are we doing? Well, we're presenting, you know, because Jesus is so controversial and has been for years, what do we do in, you know, some of the Western church? What are we doing? Well, we're introducing this idea that, you know, is this really important? Yes, yeah. <laughs> is, is Jesus, like, really the only way to the Father? Is that really what's going on? Isn't it more like, you know, if I do good stuff and there's good people and they're just good, they're, they're going to they're gonna be fine? And I want to say this, man. Listen, I, don't, I don't pretend to know who's going to be in heaven or hell. I, mean, I don't <coughs> pretend to know what hell's going to even look like. I don't even pretend to know what heaven's going to look like. Right? If you got some ideas, then hit me up. Right? If, if, if it involves harps and wings, don't call me. Okay? <laughs> I, I love you from a distance. Okay? And so, but here's the deal. We're, we're supposed to be on this show. It's guitars. Thank you. Yeah. And so, I think sometimes what we do, though, is we... we we want to we be relevant because here's what it is. Rejection hurts. And hatred hurts. And I want to say this too. We want to love people. And so sometimes when we want to love people, we want to kind of like, does it really say that? Does Romans 1 really say what it says? Or is it different? Was Paul really writing? Yeah. And, and so we try to start to twist things. And guys, I want to say I, I love the heart behind that, to love people well. But here's what I want to tell you. If you're grounded in the truth, and the truth you're telling in love, you are loving people well. That's right. The reality is our response, our responsibility is to tell people the truth. And I mean, I want to say this. 
Don't be a jerk, though. There's no need for it. Jesus meets the woman at the well, who, guess what? She's doing wrong. She's having an affair. She's had a lot. What is Jesus? Oh, yeah, whore, get out of here. I don't know why I hired a voice, but I felt like <laughs> But, you know, is that what he said to her? No. He meets her where they can't. Why can't we meet people where they're at, live life according to the Bible, have come with the truth, and if we're not accepted, to know that we're accepted by the Father. We're empowered because the Christ life is in us and the Holy Spirit indwells us. Of course we're going to come up against things that don't look like kingdom things. And how do we meet those things? With grace, mercy, and love. And you might give a conversation in full disagreement, but I'd ask you this, does the person know that you still love them? Right? Good stuff. All right, stand up.